So we've been talking about the Trinity, which is this huge idea. It's it's confusing for a lot of people, but it's so central to Christianity, right? It's what sets apart Christianity from other faiths. So we've seen that that there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And today we're asking the question of who is God the Son? So maybe certain people are more familiar with the Spirit or with God the Father. Um, the Son, though, usually is kind of the prominent figure. He's kind of the main one. But what does it mean that he's a Son? Who is the Son? So we, I want to look, look at this in more detail. So this is a big task. And it's super important because if we're wrong in who we worship and if we're wrong in who you know, we think accomplished our salvation, that's going to change everything about us. So what can we, what can we see about this in, in Scripture? Yeah. So we're called Christians, and so we worship Christ, and Christ is God the Son. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's who we worship. And uh, answering this question according to what the Bible teaches is a— it's a tall order for a short video like this because yeah. Jesus himself says in Luke 24 that all of scripture points to him, to him and his work. And so, and we will have some videos coming up that are about the, you know, kind of virgin birth specific yeah. topics related to Christ. Yeah. But yeah, to fit everything in on overviews is tough. Right. Yeah. So today we're just going to give an overview of, try to summarize everything the Bible teaches. There's way too many passages to look at to try and get all the, all the stuff in. Um, and as I was thinking about how the best way to summarize who God the Son is, I I was uh, confronted with the fact that there's probably a, a better answer out there than the one I can provide. So I actually today want to rely on something that we have as the church that isn't the Bible, admittedly, but is a great tool for summarizing everything the Bible's taught, and that is the historic creeds of the church. Oh, I love creed. Went to a creed, <laughs> creed weathered tour 2003. I had the t-shirt and everything. Not ashamed yeah. to say it. But you're talking about the band. I'm not as, talking as about as the, band. the band. Creed is, is a great band. We've, we've had some great sing-along jams to creed. But I'm talking about creeds, plural. Okay. And, well, plural in general of creeds, but today we're going to talk about one of them. Today we're going to talk about the Nicene Creed, which so creed it comes from the word Latin word credo or Greek word. I don't I don't know is my Latin. I, I think it's Latin. It's I credo. I believe. Yeah. And um, these creeds are statements of it's yeah. kind of a summary of Christian belief. Right. Right. So the Nicene Creed was formulated in the fourth century. Right. They put these you know early church fathers put a ton of work into hammering out some of these these doctrines that were debated at the time. Right. And so we use this today. Every I, I can think I can say every Orthodox church affirms the Nicene Creed. It's a great measure, a great starting point for being a Christian. So right. I agree, super helpful and it can guide us in this conversation. Yeah. And so one caveat to give is that these creeds aren't authoritative in the same way that scripture is, but insofar as they do accurately summarize what scripture teaches, which the Nicene Creed being probably the most important creed we have. I mean, maybe the Apostles' Creed you could argue for, but Nicene Creed is extremely yeah. significant in the history of the church. Um, it it accurately summarizes what scripture teaches. It highlights what's most important for us to believe as Christians, what designates what orthodox theology is. And so today we're going to appeal to the Nicene Creed to see who is God the Son. And so the Nicene Creed is actually broken into three main sections, and it's just talking about 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So today we're just going to look at the section about God the Son, which is, if you look at the Nicene Creed, you can just look it up on Google. It's everywhere. Super important document. Um, the, the section on the Son is significantly longer than the other two sections. There's a lot to be said about this. and um, So we're just going to take a look at that section. And to break it down even further, just to make it easier to digest, I want to break it down into three sections. The Nicene Creed's answer. The Son's deity, the Son's humanity, and the Son's kingdom. Are the th- are the three sections we're going to see? So let's look at the Nicene Creed. So yeah, fun fact, yeah. by the way, when I was in in high school, mm-hmm. uh, I went to a Christian high school. Mm-hmm. So for our our history class as a freshman, you could get extra credit for every line you memorized of the Nicene Creed at one point on your test. Wow! So that test, I got like one hundred and thirty percent, which is not even possible. I it always bugs me, but. <laughs> yeah, it is worth it is worth memorizing. It really is worth reading, studying, yeah. memorizing. It's so helpful, yeah, to, to guide good theology. Super helpful. I mean, even I chose the Nicene Creed because I think it's probably the most essential one. But some other creeds, just for for homework for you guys, if you want to look into more creeds that answer about who is God the Son. Some other ones I'd recommend are the definition of Chalcedon, which is specifically about defining who God the Son is, and the Athanasian Creed, which is also pretty significant about defining the Trinity. So Awesome. Um, yeah. And Scott Stapp, Creed the Band. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Check out Creed. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> higher. Start with, start with higher. Higher. It's, it's got a good theology. Uh, one last breath pretty good, you know. <laughs> All right, all Anyways. right. So the son's deity, let's start there. <laughs> son's deity. So you can look up this creed on Google. It's great. So it starts, the very first line of the whole creed is we believe in God. And then this next section is and in one Lord Jesus Christ, which is saying we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll just read it. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. And so we'll just stop there just to take off this section, talking about the Son's deity. So I think just the easiest way, I'll just kind of bullet point out some significant things we see from this section of the Nicene Creed, and then we will look at some scripture to see how scripture supports this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we see... It says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. So we're saying that Jesus Christ is Lord and he should be worshipped. We're Christians. We worship Jesus as our God. Yeah. And so that's an important thing. And then it says he's the only son of God in the second line. So he is the son of God. Our God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ is God the Son. He's the son of God. Yeah, and we said in our video on God the Father, that this father-son metaphor um, is not is not exactly correlated to our father right. and son understanding, obviously. And really what we would say is that we are an analogy of God, that he's mm-hmm. the original and he creates us in a way that reflects who he is. Yeah. But when we say the son of God, we're not saying that the God the Father is older Right. Right. And we're not saying there's some sort of physical generation or birth that happens. But so what are we saying? So what we are saying, so a fun historical fact is that this creed specifically was very instrumental in basically 
denying a heresy called Arianism, which was the belief that God the Father created God the Son, or the way Arius said is there was a time when he, God the Son, was not. Yeah. And so what the church fathers were saying in this creed is that is not the case. God the Son has always been. He's eternal. Yeah. But so Arianism is also known today as Jehovah's Witness or yeah. Mormonism. Yes, exactly. So heresy, Nicene yeah. Creed helps us to spot that. Um, but what it does say in the third line of what we read, it's the Son of God was begotten from the Father before all ages. So when it's using that word begotten, it's not saying that God the Father created the Son or that God the Father gave birth to the Son. The Son has always existed, but that's the way that they're related to each other as a father and son. And that's yeah. always been the case. Yeah. So there's never a time when God the Son was not like yeah. Arius was teaching. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and it's hard to, you know, a lot of what the creeds, these creeds do is kind of set parameters around. Mm-hmm. It's hard to fully define how that works. I should say it's right. impossible to define, but we can say, no, he's not made. He, there's, he's right. not, you know, it doesn't come into existence at a certain point, and these things we can see from Scripture, and they're they're clear, right? right? So do we know exactly how that begotting, begetting right. works? No. No, mm-hmm. but we can say what scripture says. Right. And so that's that's why it says later on, it says begotten, not made. And that's basically targeted right at Arianism, that God the Father did not create God the Son. And so, yeah, we're basically fencing off where we're fitting within. And if you're in this yeah. zone of orthodoxy, basically, you're not transgressing something that the Bible clearly teaches, then you're on decent ground, at least. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. And we see this in Scripture. There's many passages we could go to, but one that is just so helpful is John 1, 1, right? Which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we see this Word, this being that is with God and also is God. That's very, very interesting, right? So in this, again, points us to the reality of the Trinity that... He can be with God the Father, but also be God himself, right? He is part of the Godhead. And then, of course, later in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we know that this is Jesus, right? And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is preexistent. He's eternal. He's co-equal with the Father, and yet he's the Son of the Father, and sent by the Father. So very, very interesting and a great passage to read through and meditate on as well, John chapter 1. Yeah, super, super key for understanding this. And so that's why the Nicene Creed says, of the same essence as the Father, which is a pretty significant term historically, but I don't get into that. But it's basically saying that God, the Son is, as you said, co-equal with God the Father. He has all the same attributes as God the Father. And so he's not lesser to God the Father. He's equal with him. And yeah. so God from God, light from light, true God from true God. So he's actually God, truly God. Yeah, amen. That's awesome. Good. So we've seen the Son's deity, which is so important. And in fact, this was not debated at all mm-hmm. in the early church for the first you know, 100, 200 years. Right. That, was, that was really settled and agreed upon. The real question was the Son's humanity. Right. So we talked about Arianism. Arianism comes a little bit later. The original debates were... 
not was Jesus God, but was he actually human? Yeah. Or did he just kind of appear to be human? Right. So what does the Gnosticism. creed say about, and the Bible say about the son's humanity? Yeah. So uh, the next section of the creed, we'll just read this and then we'll see. We'll take a look at it. So it says, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. And then we'll pause there. So this section is basically saying that, so this God who we've already seen, God the Son, who's eternal with the Father, begotten up basically of the same essence as God, he came down from heaven, is what it says, and he became incarnate. He was made human. And so um, what this is saying is that God the Son, while still being God, also took on humanity and so is also human. He is truly God and truly man at the same time. Yeah. Which, as we said before, might be hard to understand in all its facets, but we do know that that's what Scripture teaches and that he's one person with two natures, the divine yeah. nature and the human nature. So it's not like he's split. There's like a yeah. partition, his whole his divine nature here and his human nature here, but there's they're one, they're, you know, uh, he's both, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, to be, to be clear, not, but that there's he's truly God, truly man. Yeah. It's not like he's 10% human, 90% God. Right. Yeah, and so re- regarding his humanity, he's like us, as human in every way, except for the fact that he was sinless. And he's at the same time, also like God is of the same essence as God, the father. Yeah. And so truly remarkable. And so what this also says is that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was, he became incarnate by the Holy spirit and the Virgin Mary. So the Virgin birth is affirmed here that, um, Mary gave birth to him as a human baby yet. She was a virgin before then, which generally uh, does not happen. And we're going to talk about this more later. <laughs> generally does not happen, yes. <laughs> Has <laughs> never happened, actually, yeah. until then. <laughs> and probably yeah. never will again happen. Yeah, so we'll dig into that more because that yeah. is so important. Yeah. And so then it gets into not just his nature, his right. incarnation, but also what he does. And what he does is he comes and he's crucified, and it says, for us, under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. So Jesus came down from heaven, God himself, and he took on humanity so that he could live a perfect life for us because we didn't live a perfect life. And he died on the cross for us, taking the punishment we deserve for the fact that we've sinned against God so that through faith in God the Son, in Christ, we can have eternal life with God instead of uh, the punishment we deserve. And so the same way that he rose from the dead on the third day after dying on the cross, he actually died. In the same way, we will rise again yeah. to be with him. And so, yeah, so so some of the early debates were, was it, you know, Jesus just kind of appeared to have a body, right? right? Docetism. Right. You know, maybe he just kind of looked like that, but he was really just a spirit, or, yeah. or maybe he took on a body, like my... Mm-hmm. And it felt... This yeah. godness filled the body. Yeah. yeah, like a like a vessel. My yeah. my uh, hist- my church history professor in college would call this God in a bod. 
you know? So it wasn't just God in the Bible. It was just God, like you fill up a cup, like God's in there, and then he can leave. Maybe even he left before the body died, you know, mm-hmm. before the person died. So all of these things are refuted by the Creed and by Scripture as well, right. that Jesus was truly human, that he entered into our humanity. So if you would be mindful of how we speak of that, not just Jesus took a body, or this eternal God right. came into a human existence, but he actually became human. And one thing to note too, is that he still is human. Yeah. He is ascended, which we'll get to, but that, that hasn't been reversed. He's still human. And yeah. so the way that he is now in heaven is the way that we will become. Yeah. Glorified bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so important. He didn't just abandon the body. Cause even as yeah. a, a kid, I thought, Oh, resurrection. Yeah. He's like raised spiritually. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> Essential to resurrection is that the, overcomes death that body is resurrected and not just brought not just resuscitated not just brought back to life but brought into a new state of life right right an indestructible life that shows us what our lives will look like in eternity so that's super important yeah and it's cool because there's a human in the godhead Mm -hmm. like that's just crazy (laughs) to think of there's a human interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of god right uh pleading on our behalf and showing his sacrifice to cleanse us so that God will accept us, his people. It's pretty, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I mean, just to look at what scripture teaches about this, probably in terms of... Well, yeah, let me go to 1 Corinthians 15 here. Okay. So he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So this historical event is, according to Paul here, of first importance. Yeah, This is at the center of Paul's teaching, right? Earlier in 1 Corinthians, he'll say, I delivered to you, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right. That's my focus is this act of Christ. That's the central event in history and in scripture, and it changes everything for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and just to remember is that this, the church fathers, when writing this Nicene Creed, were not necessarily trying to write every small detail as if this is the comprehensive list of everything about God the Son, but this is everything that is essential and key that every Christian believe. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, yeah, so we've seen his deity. His humanity, what's the last thing we see? So the last section is the Son's kingdom. And so let's just read this last part of the answer here in the Nicene Creed. It said, He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And so what this is saying is that Jesus, as we just saw, he rose from the dead after he actually died. He rose from the dead and now he has ascended back into heaven as a in a new glorified body yep. and he is reigning at God's right hand God the Father's right hand and he as you said earlier was is interceding for us like we see in Hebrews he's interceding for us um and so we also know that the fact that he's there now, we know that he's promised to come back again. And that's when the new creation will be brought about and we will spend eternity with him. Yeah. So this first coming accomplishes that central act, which is fixing the fundamental problem mm-hmm. of humanity, which is sin. Yep. And, and it's a down payment kind of guaranteeing what's to come next. But clearly the redemption is not complete because the world is still full of sin. It's still broken. Yep. The creation is not what it should be. 
so he will come again to finish that. And we see this in Acts chapter 1. There are many places we see this, but Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, um, so he's, he's lifted up in Acts 1, 9, and, and it says in verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven, the, the disciples were gazing into heaven, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's coming again, and he'll come this time not as a baby and not in weakness, but as a warrior in power to conquer and to finish his work and to bring in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah, praise God. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, Yeah, so um, I hope this has been a helpful start for you guys as you hope to learn more about who God the Son is. And the result is not only that we would know this intellectually, but that we would want to worship this God. And so I want to close us off by looking to the things that we'll be praising God for in the end. So I want to read Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, which says, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing.